down the far side, got a man open to the end zone. Stills grabs a touchdown. Kenny Stills, what a pair of hands. Lehman showing blitz. There's the blitz. Yesterday, man, they're scared. Damn scared. They're scared, and that's not to our advantage. You have to get a scared man, scared team. Super job, you're a champion, undisputed champion. All right, guys, welcome to the Bud, Barry, Bob, and Beer podcast. You guys can find us on literally every single podcast platform iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. There's so many things. Uh, just like we're in there. Subscribe. Give us a five-star review. We'd appreciate it. I'm your host today, Kamiya Murabi, and I'm joined by my loyal compadre, Stephen Brown. Stephen, it's it's the afternoon. OU softball's playing up at Hofstra. The last time I checked, 3 nothing. How's life? How are you doing? It's good. Uh, I have done nothing. Actually, Take that back. I went to the hardware store and finally found some light bulbs for my room. So if you watch this on, it's on YouTube yet. It'll be on, on YouTube, YouTube. You'll see that. I noticed a large difference in my room today. Steven is illuminated. So you will actually be able to see his face Whereas, the entire like the time. Past three podcasts. It was just pitch black. It's, you know, it starts out pretty good. And then by the end, you're like a silhouette. So it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> those, the sun goes down. it's yeah, it's like, it's like those movies. The only thing you're missing is like the monster voice where like they have a subtitles at the bottom where they're trying to like protect your identity. Uh, that's what it we looks like sometimes. Happen. Yeah, we could, we could, we could make that happen. That's a good idea, but we got some stuff to talk about today. Um, specifically something that I was thinking about just the other day and something that's been somewhat of a talking point, but I don't think maybe has been discussed more at length, which I feel like does need to be discussed, discussed more at length, which is the linebackers. In Brent's Brent Venable's defense, the most pivotal position, other than the other than the cheetah, and other than maybe having a somewhat dominant offense, a defensive line, which helps out his defense, but the most important position is the are, are the linebackers. I mean, he's working with them quite often. He's even bringing his old linebackers from Clemson, etc., to come in and help coach these guys up. Is this group? being overlooked because you have Danny Stutzman as your own as your own contributor main contributor coming back and they have a bunch of young guys you got Shane Witter who I'm surprised who's still on the roster and I think you you may might be too would you agree with that uh, a little bit I thought he would have maybe hit the portal but when you look at the guys that hit the portal there's not really like great landing spots so Sure. It's kind of like, can I can I tough it out one more season, or should I just try to go somewhere else where maybe it's not so glamorous? And in Witter, he's had some injury stuff w- along with his career too. So I I I, I kind of get it and finishing what you started, but then after after Danny Stutzman, I mean, you hear nothing but rave reviews about Kobe McKenzie. You hear a lot of good stuff about Kip Lewis. You hear a lot of good stuff about uh, Jaron Canick. One of none, none of these people besides Danny Stutzman has any clue what is going on in this defense when it's actually live game action in against opponents that you don't know their names and you've never lined up across from. 
does that concern you knowing that Oklahoma only has one legitimate linebacker that has played a season on the field in several snaps and Brent's scheme. And then you have Jaron Canick, who is seemingly becoming somewhat of an afterthought. I say somewhat of an afterthought because of how much <laughs> Kobe McKenzie has impressed. Not to say that Jaron Canick isn't uber talented as well. It does that concern you like to a bigger or smaller degree than maybe the wide receivers? It is a little bit of a concern because when you look at Brent Venable's defense and, and some of those things he did at Clemson, a lot of what the versatility entailed was having that cheetah linebacker um, kind of play, you know, a traditional linebacker spot, but maybe we can disguise it as a safety or vice versa, either one. Um, it's just a lot to learn. And when you have young guys, you're not going to have guys that, that kind of know what they're doing. We saw it last year. It's just you have to dumb it down until they have enough time in the system to really do what you want to do. So a young linebacking court is not what you want to have. But at the same time, you look at this room, I think it's miles ahead of where, of where it was two years sure. ago sure. as far as talent. Talent-wise, 100%. I mean, you go from getting three-star guys and you're just saying, hey, shoot this gap and saying, hey, you have several responsibilities. Um, and, of course, you know, bringing the entire Clemson staff over. Everybody already knows your defensive acumen and what they can do for these players in the league. And so that's a boost. But it, like you mentioned, it's a concern. I mean, Danny Stutzman, he started to come along really at the end of the season. And it's been well documented that Brent mentioned he was waiting basically on Stutzman to come and ask for the playbook. And that kind of was a come to Jesus meeting moment with him where Brent is like, are you going to take this seriously or not? Are you, do you want to be a goofball on campus and have fun and get drafted in maybe the sixth or seventh round? Or do you want to be a guy that could be in contention for a butt kiss if you really wanted it and actually be a top four round selection? And I think that kind of changed Stutzman's vibe. And it was definitely on display in the bowl game against Florida State where he was everywhere. Of course, it helps when you actually wrap up when you tackle. Um, but it's it's interesting to see uh, about these linebackers. And you mentioned the cheetah position in particular, which is like this weird hybrid edge linebacker safety combination. Whereas last year, it was Deshaun White, who was strictly a linebacker. Like he's mobile, sure, laterally, but he's not very fast. And now you insert Deshaun McCullough, who is very, very long, very agile, um, very physical. It's a different kind of way of approaching the cheetah position. Do you think that also alters the way this defense looks going on into this season? I do, because you just look at Deshaun McCullough on, on paper, 6'5", 220, that's that's a big difference between Deshaun White, who's what six, maybe six one, maybe yeah, in cleats, yep. but um, it's just a different body type of guy that can move in space. He's done it before, uh, but also a guy that I mean, he has some room to grow. So I don't think there should be much concern that he can come up and stop the run. Indiana's got to be pissed, right? Like that their best player that they have had, they recruited and had for, <laughs> yeah. at, like for their number I think one recruit, high, like ten years. I think their their highest recruit ever, uh, like. In, in as as far as ranking recruits in Oklahoma after one season, and he's like a freshman All American on some site or whatever. 
suddenly finds himself somewhere else. I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised how well they took that. I mean, they're it's usually fans. like the win for basketball season. That's true. But they, they seemed pretty upbeat about it, which is nice. Nice little change of yeah. pace. Probably not SEC caliber school. Sure. But yeah. They're 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 the Hoosiers are waiting for basketball season. If football's if they win, it's just a plus for them, I imagine. So <laughs> I mean, it's whatever. But I think I think it's important to bring up the linebacker discussion because I mean, again, you think of Curtis Lofton, you think of what happened in the Red River shootout um, when Ryan Reynolds, uh, not Ryan Reynolds, is it Ryan Reynolds? Oh God! For what? Why am the the inside linebacker that went down during the uh, in two thousand eight? I think that was Ryan Reynolds. That sounds about right. It's it, I, the only reason why I'm I'm not sure is because there is also an actor named Ryan Reynolds. Um, but we see how important these linebackers are to Brent's defense in particular as of course, like the, the defensive linemen matter here too in causing that havoc that makes their jobs easier, but having one experienced linebacker. Yeah, sure helps in Danny Sussman, but it gets a little bit dicey. Once you start talking about playing a sophomore, that is not necessarily as far ahead of the curve as you want them to be in Jaron Canick, maybe. And then you, all you hear is, you know, McKenzie, Kobe McKenzie, Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, Kip Lewis, Kip Lewis. Like, that's not what I want to hear as far as freshmen doing really well in comparison to maybe Jaron Kanick, <laughs> uh, who should be maybe a little bit further ahead of the curve. But that's just speculation, of course. I we think... could come out of the summer and he might be amazing. Yeah, some of that is that Jaron Kanick just didn't grow into being a linebacker in high school. Like, he was just he an was, athlete on that He was an team. offensive just, player, whatever. wasn't he? He played both sides, but it's just basically he's the best player on that team, and he's going to do whatever he needs to do to make him win. I think it's Which you kind of see that with a lot of small towns. Sure, sure. I think I, I think it's but interesting in Texas, that everybody you have Cody McKenzie. Sure, he's going to play linebacker all four years of his his career. People penciled in Canick as a cheetah, and they said nope, he's going to play linebacker. And I wonder if that changes in the near future, but. The Shamakola has plenty of he has plenty of years left. And so that makes Canick go right back to where he was in that linebacker situation. It's just really interesting to think about that because it's important to have that conversation as far as like is the defense getting off the field on third downs? It shouldn't be relying on the safeties. Uh the, those linebackers need to have their heads on a swivel. And so talking about a little bit more about Brent in particular. We all were curious about his fit with Jeff Levy. We've talked about it before several times, actually. Um, what are things that you're looking for in particular as they evolve into year two? Because we noticed during the spring game, snaps, there were some more huddles. There was a lot more wait time in between plays. Do you think that's a trend that continues? Do you think there's like a small, like, agreement that happens behind the scenes between Brent saying, Hey, I cannot have my defensive players on the field for 90 plus plays, etc. Slow this the hell down. Well, what, what, what do you think this looks like? Or, or, or what are you looking for in like in general with Brent and Levy's marriage going into the second season? Yeah, I think there is 
probably a, a discussion there as far as like, what do we want to be as a football team? Because you can have your lightning fast offense. Um, and sometimes, you know, you get so much up tempo going that maybe you, you don't call the right play. Maybe you just kind of stick with like a, a scenario thing where you have three plays already scripted and that's just not what mm. you want to do. Right. So there probably was some discussion as far as like, Hey, you know, in certain situations we have got to look at what we're doing. Like we can't call three plays, you know, run them back to back to back and then get ourselves in trouble. So um, I think there was a discussion there. I don't think that Levy's offense is in any trouble. I think they could still go up tempo, but you just have to have more awareness of where you are in the game. Do you think this, and this was a talking point when Josh Heupel became the offensive coordinator at OU, especially when those offenses started sputtering a little bit more when TCU and Baylor took control of the big 12 for those few weird years that this was not a learning on the job institution that the university of Oklahoma, you don't go in as, as an offensive coordinator, let alone a head coach learn on the job and it feels like especially with brent's philosophy and then you look at jeff levy's philosophy those two don't mesh well together and so that was the first thing i was thinking about was like why is he selecting a guy that wants to run as many plays as possible on the field that doesn't that that doesn't work with the kind of defense brent wants to play and it seems like it, it was a learning on the job situation and so for things I'm looking for is just like, are you sticking to a script? It does your, if, if your first script does well, cool. What does your second and third and fourth series look like? Because Oklahoma typically came out either their script kind of fell apart pretty easily um, after, after their first drive or it did really well. And then you wouldn't see them score for quite a while after that because they went off script and that was it. That was kind of like the whole deal. And that was the inconsistency of scoring. And so I'm curious about Levy's fit with Brent. Do you think there's any chance that Levy at the end of the year is still in Oklahoma or not at Oklahoma, but not because he got a (sighs) different job that is a head coach? Because of course we can talk about (laughs) We can talk about all, you know, Alabama courting Jeff Levy. We can talk about, you know, other uh, schools wanting him maybe as a head coach. But after last season, do we think he's really that attractive, especially as if this season, 2023, 2024, if it yields the same results? Do you see a way in which he doesn't return? I would. I think he would only return or not return if he was hired away as a head coach. I don't think he would take like a lateral move and just be an OC somewhere else. I think OU has enough trust in him. If you go back and look at the the FSU game, I thought he called probably his best game of the season mm-hmm. um, going into that game. I mean, it's just a really balanced attack between run and pass. Uh, kind of played to the strength of his offense when you know he's running Sawchuck, he's running Barnes. Um, he was using Braden Willis and just everything just felt like he finally put it together. And, you know, if you look at, you know, going into last year, I think people when they're like, you know, is it a learn on the job kind of situation? I think everything was a learn on the job 
because you're just mm-hmm. replacing so much as far as staff and personnel. Yeah. Just nobody knew what they had. Like we we were talking about, it's like, oh man, this this squad looks good. And then they go out and put a season like last season, like, ah, maybe we were wrong. We just didn't know what they had. So this year, everything seems more organized. You kind of know what pieces you're going, you, you get back. Um, I don't think, you know, going to this season, I think it should be a lot more organized. And I think, I think it's, I think, and I think it's fair to say that now they officially know what they have. They officially know what they know. What, they know what they need to work on uh, in, in like game Dylan Gabriel. People are talking about Dylan Gabriel and the Heisman. And now we know that's probably just not, not a reality. No, not at all. I, I've seen so many, I've already seen so many predictions on what the big 12 will look like next year, as far as what people think Oklahoma is going to finish. And they're all over the place because of what OU is returning and what they aren't returning. And uh, I don't, I don't know. I, what are your thoughts on dealing Gabriel? I think he's good. I think he's above average as far as, you know, the college football world. Now, if you look at Oklahoma, he doesn't look very good because you're, sure. you're used to Baker, used to Kyler, used to Jalen, even Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams. Like those are hard names to replace when you're dealing Gabriel. But if you go, you're, you know, you're dealing Gabriel, you go to like, I don't know, like Tennessee, whether you know you're not known for quarterback play, he probably looks a little bit better than he does at Oklahoma. It's very clear that people did that. People that think Dylan Gabriel was awful either just like don't pay attention to past teams, um, or were just very very spoiled um, by watching Oklahoma at the right time. Because I mean. Nate Hibble was not anything necessarily to uh, brag home about uh, in other quarterbacks, even Paul Thompson, quite frankly, especially in the offense, he was even asked to operate. And so Oklahoma, like he is not the worst quarterback since 2000. And I've seen that being posted at a couple of places. It's, it's, it's alarming. Trevor Knight. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, yes. Does he have issues? Sure. Uh, does does he overthrow? That is a tendency of his, and that's an issue with his footwork, with his stance getting too wide and not having his feet underneath them. But it's not something that can be fixed with repetition. Now, whether that does get fixed or not, that's the actual answer. Uh, because even in the spring game, L.B. Bunkley Shelton, like you mentioned a couple podcasts ago, wide open. That dude's going to get 40 yards and overthrow him like all two or three times and he's just begging for a ball. And so kind of like going into this a little bit more, we kind of touched on it about it a little bit last week. Six and seven is a jolt to the system for anybody, especially for Oklahoma fan. What do you think is an acceptable win loss record for Brent within the administration this year? Because they know it's not a learning on the job opportunity, especially a head coach at OU. Um, how short is his leash as far as that is concerned? I mean, like, is it nine? Is nine wins what keeps his seat from being warm? In nine wins, that's before the I was going to say 10, but I think nine wins you could be okay with. Just because I think you could argue that a lot of your talent's just super young, yet they're not there yet. Especially at the quarterback position, you look at the wide receivers coming in. 
uh, offensive line, still kind of a patchwork, but you have some talent there that's pretty young. So I think you could get away with nine wins. I would say 10, but I would hear the argument for nine. How many wins do you think fans would accept as okay? Besides undefeated, fans are unrealistic, but I'm talking about realistic fans. I think the fans would want 10. I think that's double-digit wins they'll be comfortable with. If it's nine, they're still kind of like, what's going on? Yeah. But I think the ad- fan, but I think admin would be fine with nine wins, especially after a six-win oh, yeah. season. As uh, long as no, you're pointing I- in the right direction. If you're moving backwards this season, there's a lot to question. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if Brent wins seven, eight games this season, especially with the schedule they just got, uh, I think Joe Castiglione might be doing some reevaluating himself. Uh, I mean, that uh, that's they got a pretty easy schedule. They've got the easiest schedule in the Big 12, in fact. And uh, I mean, like what? You play Arkansas State. You go to Tulsa where there are more OU fans and then you go down to Dallas and you play SMU. And then you have your slate of conference schedule where your most difficult games are realistically other than Texas are what at, at BYU and at Cincinnati. I mean, there's other games sprinkled in. I don't know if Cincinnati BYU, I think would be a tough game just because it's a tough game, but like they got bull, they got bull eligible by playing teams like Tennessee tech. Like, yeah, that's true. You know, like like, like TCU BYU, at home is probably yeah your hardest game. In that that says that says that that speaks volumes that this team should be winning at least nine, and so like if it, if they win seven, you think you think Brent's fired, right? Or do you think they give him one more year? I don't think one Brent's fired. I think he he fires some staff. You think Joe Josie is kind of like when Bob had that, that, uh, yeah, he probably gets a talking to, but he, he sacrifices like Levy. I mean, Ted Roof was probably just brought in just to sacrifice in general. So, yeah, fair enough. He's the first name out. <laughs> He's like bringing a coach. But that's a nice job. Like $1.2 million just to get sacrificed. Like, sign not me a bad up. deal. Not a bad gig. I mean, it's better than like what the Aztecs did. You, you didn't get him any money in general. So, I mean, uh, but no, I think it's a good point. It's a good conversation to have as far as like fans, they'll want 10, you know, double digit wins. Of course, that's like, that's been the standard, especially that was set under Bob uh, in, in 2000. Like they, they harped on it. Double digit wins every year, you know? Um, and, but I think the administration will be fine with nine before a bowl game because, well, if you go to a bowl game, you win that. You do end up with double-digit wins, which Oklahoma has shown out right lately in bowl games when that necessarily wasn't the case under Bob, quite frankly. Uh, if it, unless it was like a high-stakes game anyways. But going on into that, speaking of the young team, Oklahoma only has young running backs, with the exception of Marcus Major and maybe Tawi Walker, if you want to count Tawi Walker. You've got Marcus Major, who... I don't know what they even say about Marcus Major. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's so on Adrian and Peterson. off. Yeah, right. According to some, right? Uh, I'm not, I'm, I won't say things that I want to say. But, I mean, you got Marcus Major, who's hit or miss on, on bowl games, but never in the regular season. He's always a miss in the regular season. You got Javante Barnes, 
you've got Gavin Sawchuk, both young. Uh, you just you got a taste of Sawchuk. You also you saw what uh, Barnes is capable of. Then you got Caleb Hicks. Uh, you've got Dalen Smothers, uh, and um, oh, who am who am I missing? Am I missing one more? Uh, Chapman McCown. Ew. Norman North, five <laughs> foot nine. Uh, Chapman McCown, <laughs> of course. Yes. How how could I forget? No, you got Smothers, Barnes, Hicks. Does, does the young running back room, like especially with that offensive line, because part of being a good running back is just being patient, especially with your offensive line and working with them. Part of being a good running back is effectively that, and that's what Kennedy Brooks was really, really good at was working with his offensive line in particular. Whereas somebody like Reggie Bush, like Pete Carroll came out and said it, like their coaches came out and said, Hey, you're going too fast. You're going too fast. You need to be patient for your offensive lineman to block for you. And Pete Carroll came out and said, Hey, you don't, you don't tell a speeding bullet that scores touchdowns (laughs) to stop. You just let him go. And that's kind of what Joe Mixon was. Despite the fact that Joe Mixon was also still really good at waiting for his blockers. Same thing for Samaj P Ryan, same thing for Kennedy Brooks. Does it concern you at all that Oklahoma only has youth at that running back position while the offensive line isn't in form as they used to be? It does, but probably not in the way that you might guess. I think a lot of it, it's just younger bodies that might not be able to uh, pass block. So Mm -hmm. you like look at Kennedy Brooks. He was such a Mm -hmm. good pass blocker. It was one of the most underrated parts of this game. It's it's the reason why Boyd Finch couldn't get out of the field. (laughs) Well, he didn't even know where the, the ball was going. True. Fair enough. He forgot to play as soon as he got out there. But like a guy like Sawchuck, who's like, what, one 190, maybe pushing 200. Maybe you don't want him in there guy. pass blocking. Yeah. But, I mean, as a runner, he looked pretty mature. Looked, looked like he was pretty patient. But when you get in those passing downs, like, who do you want out there to be a pass, like, pass blocking? And if it's only one guy, it kind of gives the play away. Yeah. I I I I thought the same thing. Pass blocking assignments, especially. I mean, you're looking at what Barnes, maybe Sawchuck, and Tawi Walker. I don't think you're gonna throw Caleb Hicks and Smothers out there as far as 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 pass blockers. Smothers, Smothers will probably Hicks, see early playing could. time. I think Smothers, yeah, Smothers will see early like playing time. Guy or receiver. Uh, but Marcus Major. I mean, like he's always the question mark. You never know. With that, he's dude. the biggest like, body they got, and that's the thing. It's like, it's like, so are you going to just rely on tight ends? Or are you going to rely on converted tight ends that were quarterbacks and guys with clubs on their arms? Like, what are you doing for pass pro, especially if your running back is not going to be blocking, or just, or you know, they're not going to be there, or they're not going to be successful in their attempts to pass block because. Those assignments are pretty critical, especially with a quarterback with Dylan Gabriel, who already has an injury history of a collarbone. And then you mix that with offensive line troubles that aren't solidified yet, despite the fact that I feel relatively good about them as they go on into the season. I think they'll gel. I think they're in a lot better position now than they were two years ago. Uh, They just kind of have to put it together. Of course, that also comes with guys getting healthy. But I, I think the young running backs thing, I mean, you know they're talented. You know Javante Barnes is talented. You've seen Sawchuck. You know he's talented. I mean, 
people are just going to look at the spring game and look at that one Dalen Smothers carry when he has half a club on his arm where he spin moved one guy and juked out some other guy <laughs> out of his shoes for a long run. That was fun, right? But that was one play. It's a spring game too, so nobody really cares and takes it seriously and shouldn't matter. But Smothers will play. I think I think will play sparingly uh, behind Barnes and Sawchuck. But I mean, I think I think it's concerning. Um, I'm also curious about ball security. That's something that we've never, as pe- as fans, people that watch the game, that's something that we've never really had to look 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 at as an issue uh, for a long time for a running back at Oklahoma's ball security. Whereas Sawchuck, I mean, in the bowl game in Florida State. Oklahoma's driving down the field to maybe make it a two score game or take the lead. And uh, I think it was, I think it was to make it a two score game or something like that and cops up the ball on the turf. And that was the first moment I thought, Oh wow. Oh, I, this is what it feels like to have your running back fumble the ball. And the other team actually gets it because Oklahoma for so long, they didn't have that issue. And that's what also concerns me is not just the pass pro, like you mentioned, because that's something that I've also been thinking about. It's also ball security on the team. And um, I think of just the youth that they're going against very adult men that are going to be ripping at the ball. Of course, they're going to coach them up and, you know, carrying it high and tight. But it's just different when you're out on the field. And speaking of different guys out on the field, Brent just got another commitment a guy named Lane Jenkins, super late Juco edition. He's an edge, six foot six, 255 pounds from Butler Community College. So Oklahoma's Oklahoma staff is familiar with that community college in particular. He had offers from Illinois, Iowa State, also Indiana, where Oklahoma also just took their starting edge into San McCullough. Uh, and so... Oklahoma might be over on scholarships. Why take a late Juco guy as an edge? It's kind of mystifying. Someone made the argument that maybe this was just a scholarship that they were had for like a receiver coming in. So they might as well just use it. Like Jordan Tyson, I think this was probably his scholarship. And then he went over, went over to uh, Arizona State. That, that still baffles me. It doesn't make any sense. Arizona State's wave offense is swing passes to the running back and or QB runs. I don't know why you would go yeah, put it's, wide receiver. It's Rashad there. Samples. It's the Rashad Samples recruiting effect. God. Because for a while, we we talked about, oh, you getting Rashad Samples. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how big of, be. like, uh, yeah, especially in Texas. So, but, I mean, back to Lane Jenkins, it's just one of those things where maybe they just had to open scholarship. You know, maybe they couldn't get him on, like, a preferred walk-on just because of the scholarship offers at Indiana, Illinois, Iowa State. So maybe it's just a take. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. And so weird like, let's talk a little bit more about it, because we talked about this a little bit pre-pod, that it feels like, and just looking at the roster, just looking at the roster, it looks like Oklahoma is over the scholarship limit. Do you feel like that? Oklahoma will offer like scholarships or gray shirt guys like on the outside looking in, but then use NIL money. Gray shirt. Like, like in, use NIL money as scholarship money, basically like essentially giving them scholarship money underneath the table, if you will. 
Like, do you think that's that's going that's a possibility? Oh, I think it's absolutely a possibility. I think a lot of people are going to look at NIL and like maybe we can push our our roster numbers. You know, maybe we can get like five or six more guys on this roster that not, aren't necessarily scholarship players, but they're scholarship like role players. caliber players. Yeah, like maybe they can fit in. You know, and, like and if they Drake do, Stoops, we can push them to scholarship. Like a Drake Stoops in the past, if especially if his father was not the head coach of the team previously, would not get a scholarship, but would probably get a preferred walk-on status and would also then be given subsequently an NIL deal that would cover all expenses paid and yada, yada. Same thing for um, Gavin Freeman. That's a dude that probably should have yeah. be on that situation as far as not necessarily on scholarship, but you get all the NIL money that takes care of all the expenses and a little bit more. And I think that's something that, for the blue bloods and schools that are, you know, like the Bama's of the world, the Ohio States of the world, the Texas, the Oklahoma's of the world, that's going to be the name of the game. And I think that's also going to cause a lot of possible resentment from other smaller schools. Do you feel like NIL legislation is going to eventually catch on within the next few years and try to squash that? I think they'll try to do something. I don't, I don't know how much they can actually achieve with this. Sure. But I'm sure they'll say, like, hey, maybe let's tone it down a little bit. But as far as other smaller schools, I think one school in particular is probably going to be like, I don't know if we can say the F word on this podcast, but it'll be F. You can do it occasionally. They would not like that. Oh, OSU. OSU. I want Jack to be here. Jack needs to be here for the first F bomb. That's true. That, that is a good, a good point. But OSU, I think, would be pissed off, especially oh, without like... the boon money anymore. Yep. It, 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 they they were they were filled with all kinds of toxicity when a player transferred from Stillwater to Norman, and now like you can think about Gundy, who already sucks at recruiting and has made it widely known like he doesn't care about recruiting that much. <laughs> and now you can suddenly take those three star guys and that they would actually use and say, hey we have a quote unquote scholarship for you uh, to pay for your school and also to give you extra money and to keep that going. I mean, it will kill regional programs, especially like OSU who's in a, in an interesting predicament, especially for the new big 12 where they could do something special. But if Gundy and those dudes don't actually take that sport seriously, could totally crash and burn. So I'm curious about how that will work for them in particular, because there are lots of athletes in the DFW area, uh, Dallas Fort Worth area that would, or that are three star athletes that are going to go to SMU or going to go to some other smaller school. And if Oklahoma says, Hey, we love how you play. We can't give you a scholarship, but we will, we can give you a quote unquote scholarship, but in, masquerading around as a scholarship, but it was in reality is NIL money. I think that's going to hurt other programs like that. And they're going to be very bitter about it. And that's when the NCAA tries to maybe crack down. But like you mentioned earlier, what can they do other than like just trace money? Because people like, it's not like the death penalty that SMU received so long ago. Like people are clever with money these days. And so I don't know how they would get around it's that. Easier to push money around. 
like five years ago, you'd still be doing like Xbox gift cards. Yeah. Like Oregon does. Something like that. Did. Now they can just pay people. Yeah. No more McDonald's bags. Straight up just cash. Oh, yeah. Who was the, was that Tennessee with the McDonald's Tennessee, bags? Yeah. It was Tennessee before Hypo got there. And I said, oh, there's no way he's going to win. And look at him now. You know, is that intriguing? I'm proud of, of the course, guy. They're, going from Batman still, to like head coach. I mean, they're still doing the same thing. They're still paying players, but they can do it now legally. So like kudos. Oh, you should be in the same boat. I kind of in the with the new will be. NCAA game. I kind of want them to do like, hey, do you want to pay this player under the table and you know roll the dice? I swear to so God, cool. if if we don't get realistic recruiting battles on the new NCAA, I'm gonna lose my mind. Like, because in the old NCAA, uh, you like once you got a recruit committed, they stayed committed. And that's just, that's not been the case, like, it's really right. <laughs> for a very long time. And, like, you have to continue re- recruiting these dudes. And there there used to be, like, random suspensions or a player wouldn't commit to your team unless you promised them a jersey number that suddenly randomly, like, went away. Like, give me all of the horrible parts about recruiting and put them in this game to make it more realistic. Yeah, like if you're the fair. head coach managing a team, like I want to tell my guys, hey, no more visits. Like we're done. Don't visit anywhere else. If you do that, you're cut. You get a, like the John Harbaugh special. Hey, can I sleep on your like living room floor in my khakis that are pleated? Or you get like tips, like hey, you know, so and so's doing some PEDs. You want to suspend them for a game? I'm like, no. Let them play. Yeah. So EA Sports, if you are listening to this, we're begging you to make this as realistic as possible. <laughs> but we can close out with this as the uh, as the women are playing uh, Hofstra once again. Patty Gasso got to OU in 95. She has won six national titles. She won her first one in 2000 along with Bob. Then she goes on a run. 2013, 2016, 2017, 2021, 2022, possibly 2023. They're 51 and one right now. Might be 52 and one in a in a in a few uh, in in an hour in less than an hour. Is she the greatest coach at OU ever? I know Bud has the 47 game win streak, uh, but he has what three national titles? You have Patty, albeit like there aren't 12 teams in the big 12. There aren't even 10 teams, softball teams in the big 12, but you have your blue bloods definitely for sure that they compete every year at a massive, massive tournament where that's not the case in college football. And it has never been the case in college football until soon. Can you make an argument that she is the best coach that's ever coached at OU or like you could even say, you can even talk about OU gymnastics if you wanted to. Because this isn't like um, this is not this is not a money talk. This is not a money talk whatsoever. This is straight up prestige and accomplishments. She's on the Mount Rushmore. One of OU coaches. Like I don't know if you want to put her as like the greatest of all time. Like if you're talking like just from a is she in the conversation? Is probably. she in the conversation? Okay. I think she could make it the conversation. But I think you, when you who, like look who at else like, you thinking? Like, Bud, for me, he's kind of a guy that, like, I don't want to say put him on the map, but kind of. Sure. 
no, made OU what it is today. Like if he never did his whole thing back in the day, like are we even talking on this podcast? Right. So like for me, it's just so hard to gauge that. Like I'm going to take away from Patty because we just don't know like you know, 10 years from now, what her protege is going to look like? Are they going to keep going on? Sure. Like, what did she start? So I think she's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. I, I don't know if she's like the greatest of all time, because I think there's just so much that goes into that, that we just don't know yet. And I think that's fair. And I, one of the things that impresses me the most about, about her career, other than all the national titles, she has six on her own, six on her own. That's a big deal. And not only that, it's the longevity of it. She starts in 95. She wins one in 2000, a national title in 2000. And 20 years later, she's still winning them. And and it's, do, and it's doing it this year without, like, Jocelyn Allos that you have 20, run, 20 home run hitters, like, back-to-back in her and T.R.A. Jennings. And now you have, like, several batters that hit double-digit home runs instead. It the, the longevity of her career is what I think also makes her one of the greats of the entirety of the game, uh, but also in sports in general. I mean, like, how often do you see a coach that starts in one place, 95, wins a national title five years later, and then over a decade later starts just winning like crazy and is in the conversation for a national title every single year? from 2013 to, to, to 2023 for a decade later with this span, you're in the conversation every year to possibly win a national title after you arrived on the scene 15 years earlier. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, does Saban have something like that? And that's the thing. I guess like, like LSU. Get the LSU thing. Right. Saban was at uh and Saban was at Bowling Green for a while where he did pretty well. Um, he, uh, LSU, I remember, I remember that year very vividly where LSU was kind of up on the come up and OU was the dominant team in 2003. And then of course we all know the history from that. He went to the NFL and they said he was too cold hearted, uh, which I thought was interesting. Now he's back in the college ranks and is, uh, softening his lead, uh, over the rest of the teams that we talked about a little bit ago, like last week. But it's it's incredible to think about the amount of longevity she has on her career that kind of like puts her into that conversation. Now, I'm not saying like I'm not advocating and saying she's the greatest coach ever to you, but I'm saying like, is it worth the conversation? And I feel like the answer it's is worth somewhat, the statue. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, like maybe even two. Just put just like instead of putting it in front of the new loves field stadium that'll happen eventually just put like a massive, like 90 foot tall patty statue over the entire stadium. That way, like any, any fly ball maybe hits patty kind of like Jerry Jones stadium at Jerry world. When somebody punts the ball and it hits the screen above, just have patty standing over the stadium, like the Tulsa, the Tulsa driller or whatever his name is. I was going to say, if there's, like, anything left of Sherry Cole, just, like, knock it down and put, like, a Patty Gasso statue with a beer beer cooler on there. Hey, Joe C is good at hires for for women's sports. I mean, like, KJ Kindler, you've got Jenny Baranchek and their basketball team with with immediate turnaround. Patty Gasso, of course, for a variety of reasons. 
but it, it's just interesting to talk about. Like, maybe not the greatest OU coach ever, but certainly worthwhile of a conversation because of the amount of longevity. And it's popularizing the sport to a point where it's surpassing numbers of other sports that are like professional league sports that people are more tuned into ESPN there and ESPN two than they are on ABC, which is kind of wild that they're popularizing the sport that much by being that dominant. And it's interesting or to think about Lord Noble. Oh God, bulldoze that thing. It what I thought it was sounds interesting. Like we might get an announcement for that. Hopefully, kind of. Hopefully, soon. Okay, it, it, it couldn't come soon enough. It, Maybe name the new arena yeah. after Patty. Yeah, man, that's a good idea. It's not a bad idea. I, what I think the last thing I'll say about Patty is what I thought was interesting about her whole come up was after her win, her 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 national title win in two thousand. She said she was obsessed with winning, like every statistic, every piece of information she could get to help them win. She was uh, encompassed and engulfed by that. And once she started focusing on the bigger picture and also the smaller things that make teams win is when her teams really started to take off a decade later and are nonstop winning like they are. And I think that says a lot about her as a coach as a person and quite frankly as a testament to her success it doesn't change it's the little things and the big picture not the day-to-day necessarily operations which i think is really intriguing but that's all i've got we it's a short podcast not trying to blast everybody's ears off but anything to plug uh, join the Discord. We're watching the Zadavian Sims announcement tomorrow. Sounds like uh, sounds like it's gone a little bit back and forth so far. So this feels like a like a throwback almost recruitment where no one really knows what's going on. So uh, we're going to talk about that all night and probably all day tomorrow. Um, and then of course, you know, Champion Barbecue coming up. We're going to talk about the the visitor list and what to expect there. So. And I would second that motion. Yeah, I would second that motion 100%. Join the Discord. If you're listening to this for the first time, it's in the link. It's going to be it's gonna be in the bio of the podcast. I'll, if you're on Twitter or whatever, I'll put the link there too, along with the Spotify link. Join it. It's fun. There's a lot of other things you can talk about other than just OU football. There's gaming. There's movies. There's general just conversation. It's good times. Uh, I would say join it just because. And like, if you want a community of other people that love OU football and OU athletics, it's a good time. And we all talk about random things from time to time. So anyways, like that's James all I got too. <clears throat> retweets. Yeah. All the good stuff. So go ahead and follow us on Twitter. Uh, when Jack is here, you can follow him at, at J. Larry Shields or at CC Machine, where she is normally on. You can follow me at K underscore Marabi. You can follow Steven at OUUpdateSB. Discord link is going to be in the bio. Thank you guys for listening and continuing to listen. We appreciate you guys, and we'll check you guys later.